I'll talk about uh, what's wrong with the status quo question mark. My answer is going to be: Is the status quo, you know, the solution? Uh, that's where I'm. That's where I'm heading. I imagine everybody knows the, the current situation in terms of occupations uh, and so forth, but they're there just to remind everybody. Um, I think it's worth thinking, you know, as a big. I mean, I, I'm here to kind of poke you all with a stick, I think, and get the discussion going. I mean, what would a peace, what would a peace, a peaceful solution look like in the South China Sea? Where are we? Where are we headed? Um, and I think there are some questions that we need to ask to give us some idea about where we are headed. Is the status quo acceptable to the various claimants? Uh, does China in particular intend to occupy every single feature within the U-shaped line? This has to be the fundamental question, I think. Uh, because if it does, then we don't have a status quo, we don't have a peaceful solution. If its territorial ambitions are such that it believes it's the rightful owner, everything belongs to it, then we are looking forward to a period of uh, struggle, resistance and deterrence and potentially conflict. Or is China willing to accept that any agreement, solution, settlement has to involve compromise on its territorial claims? That seems to be a fundamental question that has to be answered. Secondary to that, does China agree that UNCLOS sets the rules for resource allocation and maritime rights everywhere, including the South China Sea and every part of the South China Sea? That seems to be another fundamental uh, question. And underlying those, I think, is the, is the question of whether we're allowed in these discussions to use historical evidence in a very critical way and to attack some of the uh, widely held beliefs, I would say myths, about the origins and, uh, of, the, of the various claims and the disputes. Where do the threats to the status quo and therefore the threats to peace and stability come from? Uh, I would say there are, there are two in particular. The refusal to accept compromise on, on the territorial claims, the idea that it's winner takes all, all of the Sisha, all of the Nansha, all of the Chiangsa, Huangsa, Kalayana and group can only belong to one claimant. That's a major source of, 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 of instability. Um, and a denial of the, the role of UNCLOS. And I think specifically I'll single out the idea that claims to historic rights, these are a clear threat to peace and stability in the South China Sea. To give you some examples, uh, these are live issues. These have all happened in the last year and a bit. Uh, I wrote about how Vietnam was intimidated from uh, drilling for gas off its southeastern coast uh, with a threat of military force uh, in June, July this year. Uh, Indonesia uh, has uh, had problems with, uh, with fishing boats in particular. Um, this uh, atlas was discovered on board a Chinese fishing boat that was detained by Indonesian coast guards in May. It clearly shows uh, areas that are well beyond any UNCLOS entitlements uh, marked with the phrase uh, traditional Chinese fishing grounds. Um, this document, this book published by a state publishing house is in itself a violation of UNCLOS. Uh, Malaysia, uh, as recently as June 2016, I'm told, there was interference in Malaysian oil surveys uh, in the Luconia Shoals. Uh, there's been a the ship or, or various Coast Guard ships um, moored at the Luconia Shoals since 2013. Brunei uh, is also uh, facing uh, intimidation and threats. It wants to develop um, blocks further offshore from where it's developed uh, until now. Um, it too is uh, on the receiving end of warnings uh, from, from China on this. So, and of course the Philippines, uh, Malampaya is running out. Uh, Philippines wants to drill for gas on the Reed Bank. Um, otherwise the lights are going to go off in Manila in about eight years time. Uh, it's a, it's a, I mean, there's no sense of 
uh, of really of crisis in the Philippines, yet it, one is, is rapidly coming. So all of the other claimant states are facing live issues about resource exploitation in the South China Sea. And the real problem here is this sense of historic rights. Um, we often hear from spokespeople from, from Beijing about the importance of bilateral negotiations. We never hear what these negotiations are supposed to be about. Okay? The real question is, what does this word relevant mean? Relevant waters, relevant issues, relevant disputes, and so forth. If it's territorial, if there's a willingness to compromise on territorial issues, this has to be stated clearly and openly, because that's ultimately what the debate and the disputes are about. There are, of course, two sets of disputes. I always characterize it as there are disputes about the islands and there are disputes about the spaces in between the islands. One involves the claimant states, the other involves other states, including the US, Japan, uh, and even states like the UK, for example. Um, these should, the, the second part, should have been clarified, uh, uh, settled, in fact, by, by the arbitral tribunal uh, that ruled in July last year. This, I think, I don't know if Bob would agree with me, um, this would be, for me, the logical conclusions of the arbitration tribunal. Um, so any claim to historic rights was ruled incompatible with UNCLOS. China's exclusive economic zone is the red line that you see on the, on the right-hand side now, plus areas of disputed sovereignty around the, um, the islands and rocks uh, in other parts of the sea. This should be crystal clear from a legal perspective. The fact that there are disputes going on in areas way to the south uh, are, is, is a testimony to, the, to the, this, this history, is the effect of this historic rights argument. Dr. Wu has written uh, about the, the basis of uh, China's claim. He writes in terms of three parts. Uh, sovereignty over all of the features, UNCLOS rights measured from those features, and then the third part, um, historic rights. And I would argue that while the first two parts one can see have been made in accordance with traditional norms in international law, the historic rights question is, is the wild card. Um, we see some innovations in the way that Chinese legal thinking is evolving, I would argue, uh, partly in response to, or mainly I suppose in response to the arbitration rule, and especially this new idea that somehow groups of islands uh, will themselves generate territorial sea and an exclusive economic zone simply by virtue of being a group of islands. Uh, this was a, a, uh, something that was published in the PLA Daily in the response to the arbitration tribunal last year, but it's clearly something that's being, being thought about. And we see um, this coming out in public uh, uh, in the form of this, the, the four shahs argument, which apparently was presented by Chinese interlocutors to American officials at a meeting in Boston at the end of August according to the Washington Free Beacon, a notoriously hawkish anti-China publication, but nonetheless, he seems to be onto something here. Um, the idea basically being that uh, uh, China will define these archipelagos, uh, Dongsha, Sisha, Zhongsha, and Nansha, and then claim rights based on these archipelagos, which in effect um, <coughs> amounts to the same claim as the old U-shaped line claim, but with a more uh, apparently solid legal basis uh, I would argue that there's nothing in UNCLOS, nothing in uh, uh, traditional international law which grants these rights. I'll defer to Bob maybe on some of the technicalities. But just to show some of the problems with this, China talks about this area called the Zhongsha, uh, the central sand in, in, in the middle of the, the South China Sea. The Zhongsha does not exist. There are no islands there. It's a complete historical mistake that it's even talked about. And I can talk, you know, I can explain why that happened. But the fact that China clings to this, I'm afraid, is a legacy of this very 
confused thinking about the South China Sea, which emerged during the early part of the 20th century. If you go back and look at how this claim emerged, go back and look at those archives from 1946-47, as Chris Chung has done in a very important uh, academic article, you will see there was never a claim <coughs> to historic rights back at the beginning, back in 1946-47. That U-shaped line was only ever intended to claim the islands. The whole uh, historic rights thing was invented by Professor Fu in the early 1990s. And I would say this is where the problems really started. We can go back to the original meaning of the claim from 1946-47, and we can go back to Onclos, then we can all kind of give up and go home, and that's the dispute settled. To give you an example of this problem, you know, the James Shoal, the Zengmu Ansha, okay? There is nothing there. The reason it has become the, south, the southernmost point of Chinese territory is because of a translation mistake that took place in 1933. Okay, we need an honest discussion of There's the translation mistake. James Scholl described as Zengmu Tan. Tan does not mean underwater feature. It means a sandbank. This is why it became an island in bureaucratic thought in China. It's a mistake. So China has to live with this legacy. The rest of the world has to live with this legacy of a translation mistake in 1933, which is causing disputes for the Philippines, for Borneo, for, for Brunei, for Malaysia. Uh, and, and the same thing applies to the Vanguard Bank of Vietnam as well. The same mistake was made there. I think we understand, we have some idea of what we think China's objectives are in the South China Sea. Uh, this is what Liu Huaqing, the father of the modern Chinese Navy, uh, mentioned in his, uh, in his memoirs uh, published in 2004. So it's about Taiwan, it's about the return of lost territory, it's about resources, but also more strategic questions, lines of communication, um, uh, def defense of the coast and so forth. And the new one, of course, the idea that China wishes to uh, maintain some kind of, or create some kind of bastion uh, inside the deep waters of the South China Sea in order to protect its ballistic uh, missile submarines. And this, of course, uh, you know, if one remembers that the PLA's purpose is not to defend the country but to defend the party, then you see this as, you know, presumably the survival <coughs> strategy of the of the Communist Party of China to de desire to maintain a viable nuclear deterrent uh, in the in the deep waters of the South China Sea. And for it to really work, um, it requires the third part of the triangle, the Scarborough Shoal, uh, to be occupied. We assume that this is, this, is, this is one of the main reasons why China is behaving in the way that it is. Um, this clearly uh, is going to be an uh, ongoing threat so long as these territorial claims remain live. Um, these, what structures do we have to, to, to manage and, and regulate uh, the ongoing struggle? Um, <coughs> the DOC was signed 15 years ago, almost exactly. Um, is there any point to it? The, the, the same disputes keep on coming up. The disputes about where the, the code of conduct uh, would apply to. Should it apply in the whole of the South China Sea or merely in the Spratleys? Uh, should it be binding? Should it actually constrain everybody's actions or not? We assume that China doesn't wish to sign a binding constraint, uh, binding agreement because it still wishes to build on the Scarborough Shoal and it doesn't wish its actions to be, to be limited there. So I would argue that uh, China has really has a choice. It can it has the power to impose uh, reality uh, for, uh, on many of the Southeast Asian states. If it chose to, it could use military force and occupy every single feature in the South China Sea within a week or so. It could choose to do so. Okay? Um, uh, the resistance that it would expect from Malaysia, Brunei, the Philippines, Vietnam would not be sufficient to deter it. Uh, yet so far it has chosen to voluntarily limit its actions. Is it prepared to take that logic further 
and to accept limits on its actions in the interests of regional settlement, which would vastly improve the atmosphere between China and the Southeast Asian countries uh, within the context of Belt and Road, within China's general uh, regional and global ambitions. I think it's, the choice it faces is to voluntarily accept limits on its actions or to expect a long period of resistance and deterrence involving the US, Japan, India and other states because who feel uh, concerned about uh, these moves against, uh, against the rules of UNCLOS and so forth. So my argument, therefore, is I think we need public statements uh, by all of the claimants to actually accept uh, the need for compromise on the underlying territorial issues and to formalize or begin to formalize the status quo. In effect, by signing the DOC, the Southeast Asian claimants have agreed to do this. Um, Malaysia still, you know, and, and still in theory has claims against uh, the Philippines and against Vietnam over certain features of the South China Sea. They have agreed, in effect, to no longer raise those. That they have swallowed uh, their um, their losses, and they recognise in the interest of regional stability that compromise is required. What we need, I think, is a settlement which is equally unacceptable to everybody. Uh, one, but one in which people don't have to take any more losses. So I think formalizing the status quo in a territorial sense really is the way that we need to go if we're going to try and resolve and take some of the sting and the threat out of the situation in the South China Sea. Thank you. Thank you.